Hi, this is Paul Collins, and you're listening to Shanghai Comedy Corner Podcast. Dear Shanghai fans, Shanghai trash, real Shanghai goods, and fake laowais. This week's podcast episode is brought to you by the small, annoying, irking thingamies that sometimes get you. I'm talking about that small toenail bit that always gets caught in a sock when you take it off, that cooker ventilator that is just at the right height to get you on the forehead when you're not paying attention, that traffic light that you never ever get green, that impossible to untie shoelace knot, that thing you always forget in the other room, the shower head taking a trip, stepping into bath water after putting your socks on. And a plastic bit missing from one of your earphones. Welcome to the 60-second Shanghai Comedy Corner podcast, the only podcast that will nudge your funny bone. Today, I am talking to Paul Collins, stage actor and journalist in Shanghai since 2007. It's random, it's fun, and it's as unexpected as a taxi driver stopping at your request, then driving off just before you open the door, leaving you drenched in the pouring Shanghai plum rains. Subscribe to our WeChat account SHCC Podcast, and maybe win tickets to different shows around town. Hello, Paul. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. It's good to have you on the podcast finally. Yes, thank you for asking me. Yeah, this is the sixty-second podcast. If you can believe it, two years and a half in the making. So I met you a while ago. I can't even remember how I met you. No, I, I can't remember the first、uh, time I met you either. I've seen you on, in different plays. What was the first play you ever? Performed in in Shanghai. The first one I auditioned for was Noises Off, but、mm-hmm. unfortunately never happened. Okay. We had quite a a long rehearsal process, and it was only about nine days before we were due to open. Oh no! The money fell through, or something happened with the production, and we couldn't go on.、Oh. So it was a very inauspicious start for me. <laughs> I just thought, could, you know, is this an omen? So <laughs> something I wasn't meant to do. All right.、Um, what most people don't really know about you is that you. And you, and you only recently told me, I think you may have told me earlier, but I didn't register. I guess is that you had never acted before you got to Shanghai. Is that true? Well, I I'd done some stuff at school, some、mm. drama lessons and stuff, which everyone had done, but I'd never done anything on my own outside. So yeah, I mean, I only heard about it because I'm a journalist. I was working at the Global Times at the time, and my colleague was asked if he wanted to audition for a part because he was good friends with a guy called Charlie Mayer. I don't know if you remember. Yes, Charlie Mayer. Yeah. Charlie. Good Johnny, yeah. yeah, yes. And it was him and his friend Philip Knight, the director, who were putting on、mm. noises off.、And、so they asked Charlie.、Uh, they asked my friend George, and he said,、oh, "It's not my thing." And George just said to me at lunch once, he said, "Why, why don't you ever go, Paul?" You know? And I just thought, I couldn't do it. You know? Yeah. Well,、so、what just, prompted you after so many years of not well, doing? Well, I, I just thought, you know, it's something I, I, I look. I, you know, I like watching films, and I like acting, and I like reading about drama. You know, I like, you know, I like reading plays. And, Watching plays, I've gone to the theatre quite a lot, so I thought maybe I could do it, give it a go. Yeah. And I went down, and they they offered me a part in the play. I think there was only one part left. It was you know it was kind of the last minute before the first rehearsals. And as soon as I started doing it, I felt very at home. I thought, oh yeah, I think I can do this. Yeah. And, and it was nerve wracking at first because I was I wasn't that confident then, and everybody else seemed very, very brash. Hmm. I think it was the, there was only me and Charlie and Brits in the cast. Most of us were. Felt a bit intimidated at first、mm. by this whole kind of scene, but that that took a couple of plays to get to get used to. How long ago was that? 
That was in 2010, so not that long ago. Only six years ago. Yeah, it was actually, you know, it was supposed to go on December the 20th or 21st, 2010. An actor in the making, right there. Yeah, yeah, it's a pity it never happened. Well, it seems that you have a history of shows that don't happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the last one was, that was actually only the next one, it was only the second one, was, but at least it was only postponed. Yes, in, yes. In um, we're talking about Heroes, of course, Paul Collins just starred in, in Heroes last month, and the play was supposed to happen last year, uh, but there was a problem with the venue, and we had to postpone it until this year. So I'm very happy that it's happened, obviously, uh, having directed it with, uh, directed you. And I've... You know, ever since I first saw you on stage, I don't remember, I think I saw you in Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. Uh, I was amazed by this. That was really one of the best performances I saw at Sasha's. Um, and I saw you in Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Uh, you were the crazy doctor. Yeah. Um, and you don't have, it was not a major role in that play, but I just loved it. I couldn't wait to see you appear again. Um, and then I saw you in Devil's Fables. Yeah, I was really surprised. I really did not expect to see you. I don't know why the style of the of the show maybe, or I didn't really expect to see your your figure there. And then it was like, oh my God, that's Paul <laughs> <laughs> with quite a makeup. Yeah, quite the well, makeup. The makeup was amazing. And I've never cost... sang on stage before. That was the first time I ever sang. Yeah, he did so fantastic. Nerve wracking part of it. Oh yeah, I, I, I bet. Yeah, I'm gonna sing soon in the show, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I love singing yeah. in the shower. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so to give you uh, people a bit of a background, you are from Manchester. Yeah. You grew up in Manchester. Yeah. You went to Catholic high school. How yes. was that? I don't know because I thought everybody went to Catholic high school. I kind of moved in this circle that was all Irish people. It was like a little island in Manchester. And you know, 95% of the boys in my school were, were um, of Irish descent. Their parents were. Irish Catholics as well, so I kind of knew nothing else. It was just it was just kind of normal to us. And our sisters went to the the, um, the convent school down the road, so it was just it was just our lifestyle. What kind of a little boy were you? I was I was really quiet, um, but quite facetious. My English teacher that was his favourite word for me. Sometimes I try to sneak in some like little snidey comment, and he'd go, "Don't be facetious, Collins." <laughs> like, uh, you know, says, I know what you're doing. You know, you know I was fine. And you did not do very well at this at this school because you say you failed half of your yeah, exams. Yeah, I failed half of my my exams, and I was supposed to pass all of them. Your GCSEs? Yeah, GCSEs or O levels. O levels. <laughs> yeah, just kind of aging me. Yeah, they became GCSEs a few years later. Yeah, but I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't like studying or anything. Are you the um, only son? Yeah. Well, what did I, your parents do? Um, my my parents were immigrants from Ireland. And my father was a construction. Mm. Chinese yeah, I mean, times were hard then. You know, they came from a very, they had to leave where they lived. It was a very poor country. Mm. You know, they were lucky to find work here. And, you know, they were lucky to get a good education. Were you born but, in Ireland? No. Was, no you were no, born no, in they, they, they came over in the early 60s, so okay. a few years before I was born. You did study English literature, right? Yeah. Yes, and you got a degree in English literature and then later on a postgrad diploma in journalism. Yeah. What made you come to Shanghai, basically? How did you? Where well, were you before? What's the story then? Well, I only went. Back, I only went to university. I mean, after I failed my exams, I didn't go to college because I didn't want to. So I only went back into higher education when I was about twenty-seven. I mean, luckily I went to a university where they didn't require you to have A levels. I mean, you know, once 
by the time you'd have to have A-levels, yeah. you know, the college exams, otherwise you couldn't get onto a university course. But I think then they recognised that there was people who could do it, but obviously they, they couldn't be expected to sit A-levels, they might have a family or something, and you know, A-levels are really difficult. So I went onto one of these access courses, which then got you onto a degree course, it was just by a different method. Mm. And then I did the same last year of the degree course that everyone else was doing in the degree course, but who'd done it via A-levels. Oh, so I see. But I basically ended up with the same okay. degree. And then I decided to become a journalist, just because you know, I, I realised how much I like writing, um, and I studied that for six months. It's like the, the standard qualification for journalists in Britain. It's like the recognised qualification. The official one. Yeah, uh, which you kind of have to get to get a job on a newspaper. I mean, they, they will take you without it, but you'd have to have a lot of experience and you know, be able to prove mm. yourself. I see. So then I got a job in Lancaster, which is a city north of Manchester. Oh, I love Lancaster. Oh, you've been there? Oh, yeah, I've been there, yeah. yeah. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really nice place, actually. Yeah, it is. It's very small, even though it's a city. There's only 33,000 people. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's much bigger towns in Britain, of like over 100,000 people, but aren't cities. Yeah, it's that's really just it's of Lancaster's quiet. History. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got a little river, nice yeah. little pubs. The, yeah, the castle. It's the castle, and it's near the Lake District. Yeah, yeah. They call it the gateway to the yeah, it's, just it's beautiful out there. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, so I was there for three years. And then I just started fancying a change. And then my first boss in Shanghai, the first company I worked for, was a news magazine. And the editor couldn't find anybody here, anybody qualified enough. So he actually took adverts out in British papers. I think he took one out in the Independent and one out in the Press Gazette, which is like the industry paper mm. to look for journalists, which we used to get in our office. So I saw that. I think one Monday morning I came in and it just it was just very simple. said, Would you like to live in Shanghai? Oh, this not my only it's not quite dodgy because it barely said what it was in a journalist job in Shanghai. Like, but about a year before I'd watched a programme about Shanghai on TV, right. I was absolutely fascinated by it. Like the lives the lives of young people in Shanghai. It seems to be these ultra wealthy children who seem to have nothing to do but wander around all day from apartment to apartment. It was just, it was just quite bizarre. Because I knew nothing about China then, still less about Shanghai, and I was just fascinated. Because I remember watching the show, that's Japan. But obviously it was, you know, and well, I just, we just hear so little about it. So then when I saw the ad, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reply to that. But that's quite of a, a change, you fancied a change, but that's a huge change. Well, well yeah, but I'd, I'd always thought about it, thought I'd like to go there, mm. and then this just came up, it was just like a mad coincidence. So he wanted me, the, the guys that first boss was called John. He said, write me an obituary of someone who was in it. Somebody, some famous film director who just died, or Robert Altman, had just died that Oh, week. yeah. So he said, write me an obituary of it in the style of the magazine. It was, a, it was called News Views and Reviews. It was like the week. So it quoted other publications about news events, but it was done in a quite particular style. So you had to kind of get that style. So I wrote that, sent it off to him, and then he interviewed me on the phone. Obviously, I couldn't come to Shanghai. And um, yeah, he offered me the job, and I came out within six weeks, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah. you were a journalist all this time in England before? Well, only for three years before I came actually. Okay. I'd only done one. No, I'd, I'd had a small-time job in Manchester for a free newspaper. I'd okay. done that voluntarily; I wasn't paid, so it's just a couple of days a week. But only had one full-time job working at the Lancaster Guardian for three years. And then you moved here. And then I moved here. So. Yeah. 
there's a there's a there's a gap somewhere in there. I'm, I'm not doing the maths. Um, well, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, before, before after I left university, I had a job working for an insurance company for two years, like a bookkeeper. Yeah, it was it was actually sorting out the mis-selling of pensions. There was a big scandal in Britain. I don't know if you remember this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that if you weren't British, where the government had mis-sold pensions to people. It actually had actually advised people to give up their work pensions and to take out private pensions and told them it was better. Of course, it was the opposite was true because when you have a private pension, you only get what you pay into it. Yeah. Whereas your employer's pension, you get what you pay into it, but also what they pay into it. Mm. And it seems ridiculously commonsensical now. But it, they fooled a lot of people into not doing it. And then the government was an inquiry into it. And the government was forced to pay back all these people, which was a huge operation to investigate all the claims of the tens of thousands of people who'd been missold pensions and to work out exactly how much they were owed. Oh, yeah, you were helping with that. So, yeah, they employed, like, thousands of people just to do this job. So, mm. so I did that for a couple of years. I see also in your in your long list of odd jobs that you were barman. Yes, that was, that was the first thing I did when I left school. Okay. My, my cousin worked in a nightclub. So that was, I mean, it wasn't even just in a bar, it was in a nightclub, which was being thrown in the deep end. It was one of Manchester's busiest nightclubs. And it was at the height of the rave era. Uh, I know this, and there was a very famous nightclub next door to us called the Hacienda, which is kind of the most famous nightclub in the world at the time. So it was a quite a crazy time, you know, as an eighteen-year-old boy to be thrown into all that. Do you remember time. anything from that time? That it was just sticks it, to. Well, I remember once we used to we went around to the Hacienda. We'd always leave them borrowing things and that, a bit like you know, borrowing cups of sugar. <laughs> so we went around there once and like, we didn't have any black currant, so I said, "Can I have a cup of water?" No, I, I just went around and I said to the bouncer. Borrow something, and the guy looks at me and said, "What customers?" Because obviously we weren't quite as popular <laughs> as the Hacienda, which was the most one, of, like I say, one of the most popular nightclubs in Europe at the time. So it, then it was funny. There was lots of party. Yeah, you I mean, we used to carry bin bags out of the rubbish at the end of the night. But one of the bin bags was actually just full of cans that we'd taken from the bar. We just pretended <laughs> it was a bin bag full of rubbish, but then just not put it with the rest uh, of the rubbish in the waste disposal and just walk away with it. The old garbage trick. The yeah. old garbage trick. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It worked every time. The, the boss had long driven off in his BMW. By the time we left, I don't think he'd minded probably a few not. cans here. He probably knew exactly what was going on. It was expected. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you also worked as a in a turkey farm. Yeah, well, I lived on a kibbutz in Israel. Oh, you did? I did? Yeah, when I was about 25, I decided to go away for the summer. Oh, so the the, the, the need to, to see the world was already there before you yeah, got to Shanghai. Yeah, definitely. I mean, no, Shanghai wasn't the first. Foreign <laughs> combat would have been strange. Yeah. Mm. But no, I'd gone to Israel because my friend had gone. So I went as well. Um, this one I was 24, yeah, because I celebrated my 25th birthday there. So I was just a kid, really. But it, you know, it really opened my eyes. Wow. You, how long did you stay there? Only about, only actually about nine months. Okay. But you know, when you're that age, nine months seems to last forever. It's a lifetime, yeah. I mean, nine months then is the equivalent of about four years now. Mm. You know, it seems to last the same length of time. Mm. And you were working um, on a farm? Yeah, well, I was working, I was doing lots of jobs there, because I was working in the kitchen, but then occasionally you'd, you'd get put on another job, and I was driving a tractor for a while, and working in a door factory. You know, all the kibbutz have these kind of strange little niches that, you know, mm. fulfills a need in the market, and the Israeli you know, economy. They all just work out what they can do and just do it. Just do it, yeah. yeah. So, but working on a turkey farm was, uh, was quite eye-opening. There are two more 
two more jobs listed on your list that you'd like to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I think you know which ones I'm talking about. Uh, but before we get to the really juicy one, uh, <laughs> I'd like to talk about veneer salesmen. <laughs> I have Did never you? actually <laughs> seen that written anywhere. <laughs> no, I died before I did. I don't even think I knew the word in English. <laughs> never mind in Chinese. In Chinese, it's mu pi. Which <laughs> you know. just means skin of water. It's kind of obvious. Mu pi. You know? Yeah. You know, it's, and it's obviously what's made, everything's made of. That chest of drawers is made of mu pi. It's yeah. just kind of MDF underneath. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we all know it. Yeah. Well, I was just, I got kind of bored with journalism. Well, I worked for the same company. It was that's Shanghai, the first company I worked for, even though it wasn't the magazine that's Shanghai. Oh. It was the news magazine they had, okay. which then was stopped after a year after I started there, because they just couldn't get the advertising. So then I moved over to the website, and then I went to Suzhou for nine years, and I had a magazine there for the same company called That's Suzhou, which was, which was a lot of fun. But again, this was back in 2008. There just wasn't the advertising to mm. sustain it. So then I just thought I'd do something different, flatmate at the time was selling veneer. So I said, right, you have a go, why don't you join in with me? I said, yeah, well, you know, I was actually just looking for a break. Mm. You know, I just felt so stressed and I thought I'd saved a bit of money. I thought I can just do this and just see what it's like. It was fascinating because it gave me an insight into China that I'd never seen in any of my other jobs. Certainly not journalism. You know, even though you think journalism would put you right into the centre of everything. But this job, because it was a very Chinese job, totally mixing with Chinese people, you know, it was a biggest immersion I've had into local culture that I've had in the 10 years I've lived here, mm. more so than any writing or journalism. That must be riveting. Just to... was, yeah, the things I saw, the things I've heard, the things that happened, it was just, it was just all kind of crazy. So you had to yeah. go to shops and factories and... Yeah, we went all around the country and I was trying to get clients from abroad, entertaining clients from abroad. It was just, it was just funny. So Paul, did you, did you actually sell any veneer. No, I did it for six months. I mean, I didn't spend much either because I used to get given everything we got from meals. The, the, the guy was really rich with the company. Mm. So we'd have like a banquet meal in this hotel like every night with like wine and the best food and everything. And, I mean, it was, it's just a style there. It was very, it's surreal. It's yeah. when, you, when you tell it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. what kind of a life, you know, like it's completely disconnected from the reality of most people's lives, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we went back to his hotel once, and um, he just spent, he just, <laughs> there was me and my colleague, and who's actually from the north of China, but we went back to the boss's hotel, which was Fujian. Okay. And he just spent the three days, we went for Chinese New Year, he just spent the three days gambling. And the first day he won 60,000 quai. So me and Jeff were like, oh, yeah, that's great, just, you know, just leave it. Mm. Like, oh, we'll go out tomorrow. Mm. We were only there for two more. Mm. So let's go out. Yeah, Enjoy we it. We were ahead. 60,000. Of course, the next day, he'd lost. He'd lost that 60,000 plus another, another 40. So by the third day we left, he'd lost about 160,000. After being 60,000 the first day. Oh my God. And I just thought, and I said to my colleague, why does he do that? And he's like, well, what else is he going to do? It's he says it's his money. Yeah. And he's earned it. And he's got no interests. You know, he doesn't know anything. He's got no education. He said, what do you think he's going to do? That's his only outlook, outlook of having yeah. fun. Yeah. Nothing else. That's his fun. Go to the that's his idea of fun. Gamble. Yeah. So that's it. You, know? you yeah. can't blame it. No, you can't. It's not wrong. It's no, just, it's, it's just, just it's what they do. It's just very different. It's, it's very odd, yeah, to yeah. us. But yeah, that's what a lot of people do. You know, they just yeah. gamble. 
Now I know why. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to reveal what your email address is, but now I understand where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never changed that in all these years. Yeah. It contains the word veneer in it. And yes. I'm like, where did where does that come from? <laughs> now I know. Yeah, people say, what's wrong with your teeth? Are you some sort of dental fitting, oh. fitting like veneer? No, it's a real deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and finally, the, the last job that I want to talk about listed in this job descriptions is, yeah. is a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's pimp. Yeah. Well, this, this is slightly tongue-in-cheek, but not completely untrue. Oh. This was part of the same job. Oh, we're getting juicy here now. Well, my, my colleague went to prison for two weeks um, because he was caught drink driving. Um, he was in the car this was just in the run-up to the Shanghai Expo, where there was lots of patrols, lots of police going around. It was, mm. it was our own fault. He shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And then we got stopped, and he got breathalyzed. And I think that the thing at the time was just zero tolerance. You never actually anything. Well, it was a very low amount. I mean, he probably just had a couple of glasses of wine. And that was it. And, but he was over. Even though he was a fantastic... I know people, I know it sounds irresponsible to say he was a good driver. Drunk, but he actually was. He was well, was he drunk. actually drunk? No, he, like, wasn't. he, he was, was never drunk. He was, even though he, he, he just had a couple just, of drinks yeah. and it was too much. Yeah, it was too much. Okay. So then he had to go to prison. So while he was in prison, I had to kind of look after things. But the only thing I had to really look after, I mean, I couldn't run the business the way he could. So was Obviously. Just put a standstill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I couldn't sell anything. I couldn't <laughs> run, run the business. <laughs> so the only thing I had to do was look after one of our clients who was coming over from South Korea and who liked to go to the KTV. Now, what you'll understand, the, the business was in Sunjiang. So there's KTV in China, and there's what we call special KTV, which is slightly different, which I'm sure you've heard of, where you don't just sit in the room on your own. You're accompanied by certain ladies who come in and will sit with you. Lady staff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they actually come in in like lines of 10, and you just choose who you like. I mean, it's nothing really kind of sordid. You just chat to them. Okay. You know, that's it. Um, but I can remember once... You just enjoy like, their company. Yeah, they just taught you. And I used be to nice say, to I say which, which of them speaks the best English? Most of them speak in English. Uh -huh. So I'd just say, you know, try to talk some in English. So I could speak in Chinese then. And um, but the, 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 the South Korean customer did like something extra. So there was a... Well, they have a mammy in the place. And she, she if clients wanted it, she would arrange something more. Oh. So Jeff, I mean, obviously, I, I just kept away from this, and Jeff almost did it on this occasion because he was in prison. I had to do it, oh. and I can remember the night doing it. And I just thought it was kind of like it was kind of the last straw. I was like, Jesus Christ! And I just I arranged that whole thing. And I thought, you were the middleman. You were the middleman. Middle I was like <laughs> facilitator between the mummy. And well, that's a nice word for the word pimp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember having a drink after, so I think, Paul, you've got a new skill set. You can actually put on your CV, pimping. You know, <laughs> maybe this would help my, you know, my your career. Yeah. What, what, what extra skills do you have? I can see you at a job interview. Yeah. You've you've probably won over the guy, and then it's the last two minutes. And what other extra skills do you have? <laughs> and you destroy everything. I said, "Well, actually, you ever need me to do this?" And I just thought, "Oh God!" It's just I just made me laugh myself. I said, "Imagine Brad now on my CV." We're going to announce. Uh, a few things, we're going to interrupt this interview for a few seconds and announce um, lots of things are happening in Shanghai at the moment on the stages and I'd like to tell you about it.
Uh, number one is a fantastic show called Psycho Beach Party by Urban Aphrodite Team, and it's going to be at Sasha's June 23rd to 25th, so it's opening actually uh, Thursday. This podcast probably come out tomorrow on Thursday. In honor of Shanghai Pride, Urban Aphrodite has decided to put on this amazing, trippy, irreverent, an unequivocally queer show called Psycho Beach Party. It's about the 80s and the 90s. It's about a very fun plot, quite dark sometimes. And I've been lucky enough to go to the dress rehearsal of that show. And I can guarantee if you want to have fun and if you want to support Shanghai Pride, go see Psycho Beach Party Urban Aphrodite. And James told me that if you repost this podcast and you send a screenshot to SHCC Podcast on WeChat, then you can get not two, but four tickets. So two times two tickets to the show Psycho Beach Party. All you have to do is repost, take a screenshot of that and send it to SHCC Podcast on WeChat with, of course, your name and phone number so I can contact you and tell you you've won two tickets to the show. So that's four tickets in total. Also, um, there is Joe Schaefer. Joe Schaefer, you must know him, he's a famous... A stand-up comedian at Kung Fu Comedy Club has been around forever. He's also a cartoonist and a journalist, uh, and he's leaving Shanghai. So it's his last gig at Kung Fu Comedy Club tomorrow, Thursday, the twenty-third. So if you got a um, a chance to go and see him and uh, clap at his funny jokes, go down. The Pearl is hosting an event called the Arabian Nights. It's every last Thursday of the month for the next four months, starting tomorrow on Thursday, 23rd. Also, the show is at 9 p.m. It's 50 renminbi, and they promise to transport you back to the times of the 1001 nights with lots of dances and cigars and desert-themed dishes. Uh, So if you want to have a lot of fun, you go to The Pearl. Uh, you can also follow their WeChat. It's just called The Pearl. White Rabbit, Red Rabbit. Uh, this is the title of a play I knew nothing about, but it's quite famous, apparently. Uh, it's on the 25th, the 1st and the 2nd uh, of July. 25th of June, 1st and 2nd of July. Uh, sometimes in English, sometimes in Chinese. It's a play and a social experiment. It was written by Nassim Sulimpanur, and it's quite famous. It's been performed around the world something like 10,000 times already. And it's a traveling show with different actors, different casts each time, and there's no director uh, per se. Uh, so actors discover everything on the night of. It's it's quite a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. So if you can try and go see it, um, the way to get information is to follow CSL Shanghai on WeChat. CSL, uh, capital letters, Shanghai, all in one word, on WeChat, and you get all the information. There's another uh, performance, another play uh, called Visceral by Maya Green. It's 150 renminbi with drink at Yunzai Cafe in Changshou Park on the 29th and the 30th. Finally, I'd like to give you some improv news. Zamaksha, his home for improv, is presenting three different shows before the end of the month. The first one is a fairy tale themed improv show on the 25th this Saturday at Jalapeno. Shanghai Comedy Club is now situated at Jalapeno on Weihailu near Shemenilu. This show is just your classic improv show, short form, short games, uh, fast and witty with a theme uh, of fairy tales. Uh, the next day, 
uh, also at Jalapeno on the 26th, uh, a different show, a different improv show called Love Sandwich. It's longer forms. People, uh, performers will take the time to tell full-on stories following different structures. So it's a different kind of fun, but it's also improv. And finally, at the end of the month, on June 30th, July 1st, and July 2nd, a fully improvised two-act musical comedy. Uh, presented by Zemak is the first in Shanghai and I believe in China. To have all the details, prices, and links to buy your tickets, please follow Zmak Shanghai, Z-M-A-C-K Shanghai, in one word, on WeChat. And I'd like to take the opportunity of these announcements to thank our official partners of the podcast, Zmak Improv Family, Shanghai's Home for Comedy, and Shanghai Comedy Club for all things improv and stand-up. Back to Paul Collins and his crazy jobs and crazy experiences. Well, you mentioned that you went into journalism because you loved writing so much and you yeah. love uh, art and films. And Do you have an inclination to write anything in the future? Is that something that something must have crossed your mind? Yeah, I've never kind of got around to it, but I would like to. Um, I'm not working full-time now. I've got work, kind of freelancing and doing lots of different jobs. So I'm hoping to get around to doing something. Yeah, would, it be, would it be fiction, autobiographical? I'd, I'd like to actually consider acting plays and try my hand at writing a play. My friend here actually said he'd like to write a play for me, like a one-man show or a monologue or something, so I'm thinking about helping with that as well. Mm. Collaborate on that. Collaborate on it, yeah. I mean, the, way, the reason I became a journalist is well because I think most of us are kind of voyeurs, you know, they like mm. interesting things, they like strange things, you know. That's what keeps you going, things that are out of the ordinary. So what, was, what are some strange things that you like? Paul just, Collins. <laughs> well, no, it's just, you know, people, you know, I think that's why I like China so much because it's, it's not like in the West where everything is more kind of regimented. Standardized. It's more standardized. We, we're talking kind of words out years ago. Nothing's going to surprise you anymore. Mm. You know what's going to happen the next day. You know what's going to happen the next week. Because it's all been worked out and there's rules and regulations and everything's codified. Whereas in China, there's none of that. So you, you really, every day is fresh for you. Yes. Something's going to happen. Yes. That nobody knew what's going to happen. Crazy is going to happen. Well, the sheer size of the country and the sheer yeah. number of people also makes it. Yeah, it um, makes it much more likely <laughs> to happen. Yes, yeah. and that's just the things we hear about. You have a tendency to tell tall tales. Yeah, I suppose it's like you just like when you're telling a story, mm. you, you want it to sound good. Mm. You know? You're a storyteller. You, 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 yeah, you don't. You know, in, in Ireland, they well, you're Irish, they exactly. They call us, well, they call you call him a romancer, mm. which means somebody who like doesn't tell lies, but tells stories that are kind of. There's an element of truth in that. You know, there's an element of truth in what you're saying. Yeah, the point like is stories. not the truth. It's just the point is hearing the story, learning from it, rather than yeah. the exact yeah, exactly. details yeah. or veracity of, of each yeah. and every fact. I mean, I always think when people get, you know, they do a biopic of someone, write a story about someone, relatives, or get really upset about the children. But, the, you know, the person said, well, we've never said it. We didn't say this is exactly what happened in that person's life. Because mm. it would be boring, even if it is a famous person, it has to be. You know, it has a, the ring of truth to it. Tell us a story, then. I, I'd like to hear the story about the Spring Festival show in Fujian. This was in two thousand. This was actually the same trip we went, we went to before. I said about the gambling. Mm. So this is what was happening at the time. My boss was gambling. This is just how crazy everything it is. So we'd all gone out into the town, the local town. It was kind of, kind of a big place, about a million people. Small mm. for China. But as I said to my, as I said to my colleague, I said if this town was in Britain, it'd be the fourth biggest city in Britain, which he found hard to believe because in China it wasn't even the 
top 130. So, so we went into town, and it was the day of Swing Festival. It was Tunjimi Festival Day. And there was the four of us. There was me, Jeff, the cop that went to prison. Oscar, who was also from that town, who was like the factory manager. And, and Simon, who was the boss's son, who was 10 years old at the time. So us four were going around together. So then I don't know why, but Jeff and Simon went back to the hotel. So it was just me and Oscar left, and me and Oscar in town. So we were, there was a theatre in the middle of the town. And he said, well, let's go in. They'll have shows on tonight. They'll have like a whole day of performances because they do that every spring festival. So we walked in, we paid like 30 quid, walked into this huge you know, um, auditorium, all black and blacked out, packed, you know, aisle down the middle. Like a beautiful theatre. It was quite a new building, I think. And then we sat down and uh, whatever act had been on it just, was just finishing. The music was just rounding off and people just walking off stage. And it had this beautiful backdrop looking like a an old Chinese painting, you know, with the black and white mountains, mm. very, very top to bottom. Like ink stuff. Yeah, the ink, you know, the wash, the, the ink and wash painting, but for the whole backdrop with the mountain at the top and some goats on the top of the name coming down these rivers and rocks and people at the bottom. So I sat there and I thought, oh, this is this is awesome. We can sit in our afternoon's traditional Chinese entertainment, you know, maybe a bit of country opera, you know, pink tang singing or something like that. So then the music started up for the next act. And I'll never forget the song because it was this—it was this kind of chill-out beat song that they used to play in nightclubs in Britain about ten years before. But it had like this Gregorian chant. So I don't know if you remember it. It was actually quite a clever song, and it was quite a big hit. And they played it as a sort of chill-out singing, you know, Ibiza-type nights. Mm. So I thought, yeah, that's a bit strange. You know. so, mm. so then this woman comes on the stage from you know the stage right, walks up to the front of the stage. First thing I notice is she's holding a lit cigarette in her hand. <laughs> I mean, you know, not not not. I mean, not many women in China smoke anyway. Yeah, you know, true. kind of looked down upon. That's true. And this was in the countryside, and this was in two thousand and nine. And she was wearing like a man's dress shirt, you know, like a proper shirt, you know, with the low front and the low back, with the tails at the front and right. back, were quite expensive, and wearing these high heels with the kind of lace up, like cross lace all the way up to her knees, and that was it. That's what she was wearing, and holding a cigarette. And by the time she'd made us, has you know, she'd made her way to the front of this. Stayed. And it's completely dark in this auditorium. And I just turned to my friend Oscar and I said, I whispered and I said, She looks like a stripper. And he just, Oscar, who was obviously smoking at the time, just turned around and looked at me. And went, she is a stripper. For the next 25 minutes, she did this strip tease act. Ended up taking all her clothes off except her panties. At the end, there was a lot of young boys at the front, so they stood up to get a better look. Now, the image, but they, which is whatever, fair enough, but the image that stays in my young father on the row opposite me, like across the aisle from me a few rows up. And I remember he had his daughter, who was about four or five, and he stood up and lifted her above his head so she could get a better view. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just watching this, and I was just gobsmacked. But the thing was, it, this theatre was full. Obviously, it was quite obvious in the beginning what she was going to do and what she did do in the next 20 minutes. Not one person walked out. Now, there was, it was a complete cross-section town in there. There was old people, grandmothers, grandfathers, young families, middle-aged people, kids, how everything, did this act, everything. How did this act ever make, and I make was, it there? And I was just like, and then it like finished and we walked out and I was just, I remember walking out to the sun and being kind of dazed because it was still bright. You know, it was when we walked out, it was still only about half past three in the afternoon. <laughs> and I was like hit by this sunlight because I, I was 
you know, I just thought it was going to be dark or something. I'd completely forgot the time and everything. Oh, you know? And I said to him, I said to my colleague, I said, is that, um, is that, is that common? And he went, of course it's not common. You know, it's a special occasion. It's Spring Festival. <laughs> he said, you don't, you don't think they put that on for us every week? I said, okay. I said, okay, let, let me rephrase that question. He said, is that normal? And he went, yeah, why not? <laughs> and then I went back and we met Jeff and Simon and I told them what had happened. And I, and I, and I I said to Jeff, and then he said, all oh, right, is she good looking? I said, never mind, was she good looking? <laughs> I, said, I said, you do know, it's lucky that Simon wasn't there. Like, you'd gone off with Simon, you'd gone back to the hotel. He said, why? And I said, because if I had been in there with Simon, I'd have to have taken him out. Mm. I mean, you two could have stayed out whatever. I mean, I, you know, I had no objection to me staying, but with him there, somebody would have to have left with him. And they were both laughing at me, going, why? And I said, do you think it's appropriate that he, a 10-year-old boy would stay in lockdown? He'd be like, why not? I was like, and then afterwards I thought, I thought, is it me? I thought, is it me? And I just thought, am I some like prude, like really old prudish person who just doesn't get it? And it's just, it was just, yeah, it was just one of those crazy, one of those things that sometimes hits you and you think, you know, what is, is this me? Obviously, that's when you you travel and live in other places, so yeah. you realize you're not the center of the world anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> in a, a billion, one point six billion people think it's okay. You also describe this story about it's not a nice story, but I would like to hear it if you're okay with it. You talk about being accused of stealing something oh, in yes. a bar, yes. and yeah. that sounds pretty. Awful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it was. To be honest, I've probably, got, I've probably got dozens of similarly bad stories. But that <laughs> one just went when I was writing. That one just came to my mind. I'd been in this new bar with a friend of mine, Nick, and then the next day, this woman rang me up, and she said, "Well, where's my, where's my computer? Where's my computer? Where's it? Where's it? Where's it? Wait, 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 wait. A woman rang you up. A woman rang me up. So she had your stuff. number. She had my number. Yeah. So I was, I didn't know what was going on. I said, "Where's my computer? Where's my?" And I said. Um, so I assumed she got the wrong number, and she was she'd given she was looking for the guy who'd fixed her computer. You know, like she yeah, got, got her to... computer to be into into be repaired, and she was just wondering where it was. And she said, "Where is that?" And I said, "Oh, sorry, I don't. No, you've got the right. I don't. I don't repair computers." You know, and, he's, and she's going, "Don't be stupid. Don't be funny. Where is my computer? Well, I need it. I need it. Where is it?" I was like, "I, I don't have it. I'm, I'm not. It's not. It's not my job. I don't fix computers. I haven't got you. Sorry, you've got the wrong." And then as, as she kept saying it, I thought, "Hold on." This is a Chinese woman. She's talking to me in English. She mm. can't think I'm the person who fixes a computer. There's no foreigners fixing computers in Shanghai. And I thought, no, she is speaking to me. She knows who I am, and she's speaking English to me. And I was thinking, what, what is this? Then it all stopped. To... And then it turned out, and then um, somebody else rang me. She said, I said, I, she said, I got your number off Linda, who was a, another friend of mine, who she rang up and asked my number, but without saying why, and Linda had given it to her. And she says, I know you took my computer. And I said, look, I don't know what you're talking about. So I put the phone down. And then she rang again the next day and said, where's my computer? You owe me the money for that computer. You stole it. So, so then I spoke to Linda about this. And I said, what's going on? And Linda spoke to her. It turned out she, her husband, this woman's husband, this woman ran the bar with her husband. Ran okay. the bar. With oh, her. ran the bar. Yeah, they were actually ran the bar. Her husband had told her. I had left my bag there one night. We were in this night. So the next afternoon, I went back for it. I worked very close to there. So I'd gone back for it the next uh, afternoon about five o'clock in the evening. And they had put the computer in there. She said that when I went back to get the, my bag from mm. the bar, 
can you understand my installed in the computer? And I was like, are you serious? And, and, and I said, because when I went in, the husband was there and a barmaid was there. I literally went in and said, they knew I was coming, so I'd up before and said, I left my bike there. And I spent all of 30 seconds in there, just chatting to them both. They gave me the bag and I walked out. But then her husband made up this incredibly stupid story that during this 30 second interaction, I'd also taken the laptop off the bar and put it into the bag they'd just given me and walked out. But that neither him or the barmaid had noticed. So I just thought, oh, for fuck's sake, what, you know, what is going on? Mm. How crazy is this? Mm. And then the last time she rang me, she started saying, I started shouting at her, saying, you know, don't ring me again, this is ridiculous. You know, of course I didn't. How could I steal the laptop off the bar in front of your husband at five o'clock in the afternoon? There's nobody else in there, and there's just your husband and a barmaid both looking at me because they're talking to me the whole time I'm in there. There's just three of us in the room. And you, and you, you believe I put a, I've managed to take the laptop off the bar and put it in my bag and walk out. So I was just like shouting at them. And then my colleague was listening to this. I was having lunch with him. He, was, he said, What's all that about? And I told him the story. And he's, he'd lived here in terms of about 10 years there. And he just started laughing. And he said, Paul, I can tell you exactly what's happened there. She said, the husband is obviously, well, he's not stolen the computer because it's probably his as much as hers. But he's obviously sold it because he needs the money for something. He obviously can't tell her that because she's probably, she's probably you know, braining. Mm. So he's had to make up some excuse about mm. either being lost or, would you, or somebody stealing it. So he's just alighted on this. You're thing. Oh, there was a, there was yeah. a foreigner in there. He took us thinking that would be the end of the story. Mm. Foreigner took it, can't really do anything, forget about it, we'll buy another one sometime. And I thought about it, I thought, yeah, that's, that is what's happening. Makes sense. You know, and I thought, how could she be, she's honestly believed her husband, mm. and just follow this up and starts accusing, you know, a completely innocent person. So then I was getting ready for the next phone call, and she never rang again. So I think she'd either put two and two together herself and thought, actually, this yeah. is ridiculous. Like, he's obviously lying, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, I don't know how the story ended up, but I was left out of it at that point. You have a history of forgetting your bag yeah. in different places. Because <laughs> last time was the script of the play you were supposed to perform and was in there, and you kindly asked, quietly asked me, Julian, do you have another script? Because I forgot, forgot it in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I've lost lots of Funny thing, when I first came here, I used to leave my bag everywhere and always got it back for some amazing reason. I got it back like 10 times. Which was amazing, because last time I didn't even know which bar I left it. But it was like, I just kind of guess which one. And, uh, you also won an award for your journalism. You know, they say like every journalist, you know, you're lucky if you get a really good story. And while I was in Lancaster, there was a big story where there were 24 people drowned in Morecambe Bay. It was a very big incident. They were cocklers, and they were actually Chinese, which is just an amazing coincidence. Because it was a year later I came to China. They were all f they were all from Fujian province as well, which is where the internet. Mm. You know, obviously it was a tragic story, but for a journalist, something like that, you know, such a huge story only comes along once in, you know, once in a lifetime. And it's, it's wrong to say, oh, yeah, I was fortunate to be able to, something terrible happened to like that. You were the but one who reported it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I did a big story about it. But it was just such a sense of fulfillment in doing that story, spending a week on it. I mean, normally stories I'd spend like two hours on gave me like a week to interview everyone. So it was just interviewing the investigation to everything. They went over to China to identify the bodies and to take off all the jewellery and stuff. And, I mean, talking to the Coast Guard, this was absolutely heartbreaking. What they, what they
eventually they saved nobody's life. By the time they knew it was going on, they were all dead. It was just a case of recovering the bodies. So it was very traumatic. But for, you know, from a from a professional point of view, it was, it was you know, it's the kind of thing assignment you hardly ever get. And you could really get your teeth into. People know more about you now, and then I'm sure they would like to see you on stage. So, yeah. is there any any project or any, anything you, you are part of at the moment? Well, we're just. Um, I'm probably going to be in. A, well, I will be in a production of Trillers and Cressida. That's in November. That's in the yeah, not till November. There's a director called Thomas Cullen who's been there for a few years, but I never met him before. And does a lot of Shakespeare and bilingual Shakespeare. Usually, it's the Chinese actors. So we're going to do it where, you know, it's the Greeks and the. Trojans? The Trojans, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never actually read it, I've still got to read it. Yeah. So I think the, the, the Chinese actors are going to be the Greeks and the Westerns are going to be the Trojans, or the other way around, I can't remember. So it's going to be quite interesting and it's going to be you know, half in Chinese, half in English, with some overlapping during the battle scenes or whatever. So it's, it sounds, yeah, that sounds, it sounds interesting. A very exciting project. Yeah. So I hope to see you in many other projects. Yeah, also. I, I hope so as well. I, I hope we could work on also yes. different projects together. Because it was an absolute pleasure to, yeah. to direct you in Heroes. It was a pleasure to be here. It was a great experience. It was an amazing experience. So we'll, we'll pass on the, your upcoming memoirs. I think you wrote that in a jest. Uh, <laughs> lifting yeah. the lid on your 25 years in show business as both men and boy, entitled, Can I Say That? <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't do write my memoirs, that is what I would call it. <laughs> I think that's quite clever. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank <laughs> uh, you, Julian. Lovely to have you here. I hope now that more people know you, they want to see you on stage and read your stories. Do you, so you, do you still write? Do you still write? I, I mean, journals. I, I do a lot more editing now. Okay. I'd like to, before I've noticed, that in China, most of the jobs are problems tend to be editing. All right. Well, when you publish your memoirs, let, let, let us know. I'll come back. <laughs> You'll come back. I'll come back to the yeah. studio. To the studio. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and see you soon. Same here. Bye bye. Tell me.